0: Love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 days to the work you love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, here's our theme for the What are you becoming? You know, it's pretty easy to measure what we're getting. And a lot of times we look at that, but the question is, what are you becoming? A little more difficult to quantify that. We're going to be looking at some of the issues surrounding that today. Got some interesting questions that lend themselves to that. Here's some of the questions we'll be looking at today. Dan, your advice does not seem to work in Atlanta, Georgia. Well, there's an interesting way to start off today. Advice just doesn't work in certain parts of the country. Dan, is it okay to quit a job if it's causing health issues? In listening to you, Michael Hyatt and Dave Ramsey, the concept of intention is referred to many times. What is intention? How can I contribute and offer value to others without ripping off the giants already out there? How about this one? I like this one. As a salesman, is it tacky to ask current customers about job opportunities in their companies? Dan, I'm meeting with a millionaire every week. What should I be asking him? Well, great questions as always want to do a little bit of a follow-up from last week. Here's our quotation for the day. It comes from Henry David Thoreau, who said, what you get by achieving your goals is not as important as what you become by achieving your goals. Now, I love illustrations. I mean, I, I love, you know, the stories that just kind of hammer home a point. I want to read you just a real short little story. It comes out of an old book. Remember the little... Things you used to get in the mail, businesses did at least, called bits and pieces. I don't even know if it's still available out there, but I haven't gotten any in a long, long time. But I still have some of the books, which are compilations, bits and pieces. This story comes from there. Sometimes a story just doesn't need much explanation. A monk who was traveling in the mountain found a precious stone in a stream. The next day he met another traveler who was hungry, and the monk opened his bag to share his food. The hungry traveler saw the precious stone in the monk's bag, admired it, and asked the monk to give it to him. The monk did so without any hesitation. The traveler left rejoicing in his good fortune. He knew the jewel was worth enough to give him security for the rest of his life. But a few days later, he came back searching for the monk. When he found him, he returned the stone and said, I've been thinking, I know how valuable this stone is, but I gave it back to you in the hope that you can give me something much more precious. If you can, give me what you have within you that enabled you to give me this stone. Great story. Well, this is Dan Miller. We're going to be going through your real-life questions here. Last week, I talked about giving, talked about how to give responsibly, told a story about a young girl that we're helping out who we you know, gave the fourth or fifth car to and how I'm going to try to monitor that process to have it be more of a learning experience than just just a gift to help her learn the principles I want her to learn, uh, not just to continue to be on the receiving end of somebody else's generosity. Well, some people ask you, you know, is she motivated to change? Some people mentioned giving her Financial Peace University. And allowing her to go through that well i think she's motivated to change she really does want to but you know how they say life happens and when you're working a full-time job two part-time jobs have three small kids living in government housing there are a lot of squeaky wheels and she operates primarily by the squeaky wheel principle. There is no margin left in her life. There's no margin left for personal exercise, as an example, for addressing the needs of eating more healthily. There's really little margin for developing Ongoing relationships. It's just pure survival. I don't know how to break all that. I mean, we've had lots of experience in trying to work with people at various places here and around the globe. But I think we have the responsibility, if we're going to be givers, to follow that through and to give responsibly rather than just enabling people, convincing them they can't take care of themselves and waiting yet once again with their handout. Well, I won't go on into that. It seems that there's a constant theme in some of the questions that we have, where as we are more successful, you know, we have more responsibility. I mean, they say ignorance is bliss. Well, poverty is bliss in some ways too, in that you really don't have a lot of responsibility. But as you are entrusted with more, you have more responsibility. And we need to think through these issues rather than just closing our eyes and just doing things that everybody else does. Well, here's a couple of success stories. This one comes from Sam Little. And I'm going to condense it. He wrote a rather lengthy note. Um, he says, yeah, it turned out kind of long. Feel free to summarize. In late December, you played my voicemail where I explained how my site, easyjournaling.com, was hosting the very first ever journaling expo. It was a great success. Thanks. Well, Sam goes through more and more of his story the things that he did was in a position where he asked for a raise and supervisor said gee you're deserving of a raise but this is a government position we can't do that you got to just keep putting in your time and if you put in enough time you get a little raise well sam wasn't content with that gave his two weeks notice and walked away with no plans in place at all decided they were going to move back to las vegas which was home packed up He says, while I was driving the U-Haul away, the day after my last day, I had a blowout on the truck and was stuck on the side of the road in the Nevada desert. My phone rang, and since I was broken down, waiting for the tire to be fixed, I answered it. It was a supervisor from a private engineering firm in Las Vegas, where we were moving. He said he heard something to the effect that you had just left the company you were with. You're moving back to Vegas. I want to get together with you next week and offer you a job. I had met him through a mutual friend a few months earlier, had told him about some of the stuff I was doing. When I asked for a raise to the government job, I was asking for 10%. This new firm offered me a new job doing roadway design plus project visualization for a 50% raise with benefits and bonuses without blinking an eye. Now I'm living close to family, making a ton more money, already getting ready to do my first visualization that will earn well into the five figures for the firm. Anyway, he goes on and says, we just wanted to tell you the story about how I left my secure government job, got an offer without even asking the next day for a 50% increase in pay. Well, Sam, thanks for sharing. Your story. We always love hearing those. If you've got a success story, golly, just shoot it in. Go to the, the same place you ask a question. Just go to the podcast link at the 48days.com site. You'll see a place there where you can leave your question or comment or success story. Well, here's another one comes from Vana. In laverne tennessee who it's it's kind of a, a success story the early stages at least they just want to keep it going so it really will be a, a success story Bonna says hi dan recently my husband had to leave his job due to work conditions before leaving his job he had begun buying and selling collectible toys now he's going to try this full time last week was his first full week focused on toys this included selling at the nashville flea market he made a lot of contacts there that could lead to other work. In just that one week, he brought in more than he normally makes in two weeks. I know keeping that kind of momentum up is going to take a lot of work. He loves doing this, has a new lease on life. You can see his excitement when he gets to talking about it. So I really want this to work out for him. Do you have any advice or recommendations for us to help ensure his success? Thanks for the sound advice you always give. Well, Vanna, thanks for your, your note in. Sounds exciting. Don't get outside of a traditional job and do something like you're talking about, buying and selling collectible toys. Yeah, I mean, that that's the kind of thing. I love those kind of examples. Be clear on your specific niche. Don't be a generalist. But if you understand the value of collectible toys, find places that you can buy those, whether those are on eBay or on Amazon or at garage sales or flea markets, stimulate sources where you can get those you'll find old hardware store closeouts liquidation sales you can access those kind of things online where you may be able to buy a hundred of a particular model car that's now a collectible and then you resell those one at a time by putting about out on ebay i mean i've had several stories just recently about people like even buying cameras in bulk on Amazon and then selling them one at a time on eBay. It might've been the other way around, I don't remember, but certainly legitimate stories about people doing that. Anytime you have an opportunity to buy things in bulk. Now I've, I've done a lot of selling books where I buy books that are interesting to my audience. So part of this is having an ongoing audience where you build your platform. So, if you have an audience that knows that they can find collectibles with you, you start building your reputation by doing that. And then you look for ways that you can find unique things that you can bring and offer to your audience. So, one of the things that I do look for are books. So, I find books out there that are in liquidation, meaning they're now being sold for pennies on the dollar. It doesn't mean they're a bad book, it just means that somehow it wasn't marketed well didn't sell and so now the publisher is just eager to get it out of their inventory i mean i've bought massive quantities of books from my own publishers where It may be a particular, I bought bought Spanish books one time at just pennies on the dollar because publisher didn't seem to know how to deal with those, even though it was my own book. I knew we could sell them. We went on and had great success with that. There was a package one time they did for Costco only. Well, Costco's initial order was 60,000 units. They went on to buy lots more after that. But after all was said and done, the way Costco does, they try something for like 90 days and then they just pull it in. They go on to something else. So there were about 14,000 of those special packages. It was a box that had 48 Days to the Work You Love hardback, workbook, a couple audios in there, and it was packaged specifically for Costco, not in a way that is readily done in bookstores. My my publisher panicked. They had 14,000 units of that. They didn't know what to do with them. I did a quick negotiation with, with them and bought that. It was a $49 retail package. I bought them Uh, every single one they had for $4 and 38 cents a piece. Now that we sold most of those for $20 a piece. I mean, anytime I can do five times our investment, yeah, I consider that a good purchase. There was none of those. I mean, we sold components out of there for $10 a piece. Nothing we ever sold was sold for less than $10. Now you can do the same kind of thing with your collectible toys. Find ways that you can buy 100 at a time, boom, and then you can sell them one at a time. So you can keep it going by just looking for unique ways to buy. I mean, your money is made in the buying more than in the selling. You know what things are going to sell for, kind of average ranges. So your, your profitability comes from being able to purchase things at deep, deep discounts. Well, let me move on. Uh, Good evening, Dan. I listen to your podcast show every Friday. I've taken your advice, but it does not seem to work in Atlanta, Georgia. I've tried time after time to acquire successful mentors, but most of the time I'm told no, or they don't have the time. Most people will not share any wisdom or knowledge on how to become more successful in life. Most of the time people just, people judge, oh, people judge people based on the news channels here. Moreover, I currently am working plus taking online classes, but I know there's more to life than getting paid $11 an hour. My question is, can you be my mentor or can you give me some ideas on how to become more successful in life? I can give you lots of ideas about how to become more successful in life. And here's the thing. You can talk to 10 people and ask them to be your mentors or spend time with you and they all say no. That doesn't need to stop your own progression towards success. You can have mentors who don't know they're spending time with you. Now, why would I say such a ridiculous thing? I mean, I had lots of mentors before I ever started meeting people individually that were willing to spend time with me, but I did that through books, through audio programs. You've heard me talk about the powerful impact of The Strangest Secret, the little audio recording by Earl Nightingale done years ago. But I became a voracious student of the, the Nightingale Conant materials where they would interview and have people talk. People that I considered masters of achievement. So I would listen to Dennis Waitley and Napoleon Hill, Norman Vincent Peale and Robert Schuler and, De- and Dennis Waitley. It goes on and on and on. You can do the same. You don't have to wait for anybody. You don't have to get their permission. Access the great books audio programs, online resources, watch a TED interview. I mean, a TED presentation, one a day. They're 18 minutes long. Go in and watch a TED presentation, one a day. You're gonna see people who have amazing stories about success, things that you can build in and adopt in your own life. So don't be too turned off, and I'll have to and I'll do humility, reject your idea that my principles don't work in Atlanta. I mean, my goodness, if I started listening to people I know in Atlanta who are extremely successful, we'd take up the remainder of the podcast, just listing those names. But there are certainly lots of people there who are in fact being very successful and will continue to grow their success. Geography has very little to do with our success for any of us, but make sure that you're accessing great information. Continue to ask people now, as opposed to your experience, my experience has been that most people are very willing to spend time with you. But I'll also say this, success breeds success. If you are groveling on the ground and have, you know, a dirty baseball hat on backward, it may be difficult for somebody to commit to spend time with you. You show a little bit of success. I mean, the people I love spending time with are the ones who have shown just a little bit of success already. Then I realize, wow, this is going to be a great investment of my time. But I had recently a young group of 12 guys who have their own mastermind group. They're all in their 30s. I loved having them out there. They're welcome to come out here anytime. Pick my brain because they're doing things that make a difference. They're already doing, turning themselves into millionaires they're doing things building their dream home dream homes and they're asking questions that let me know they're going to implement the principles and make a difference not only in their own lives but in the lives of their family and everybody that they meet so keep moving don't let yourself believe that success principles don't work in atlanta georgia or anywhere that you live well jody says is it okay to quit a job if it's causing health issues? I'm a mother of two, married to a self-employed carpenter, worked full-time on a career I never loved. I started a new job about a year ago in a great university setting, but the job is not fulfilling to me. And I began having anxiety issues to the point that I've had difficulty breathing. And I'm now wearing a heart monitor to be sure, sure there's nothing physically wrong. Although I'm 100% positive, it's anxiety My son will be entering college next year, and the employee discount would be nice for him, and I'm the only one responsible for providing for our family with health insurance. What I really want to do is decorate homes and create art for a living, but I can't see how either of those will will provide the amount necessary to support my family. Your thoughts are appreciated. Well, Jody, is it okay to quit a job if it's health causing health issues. Not only is it okay, it's smart, responsible, and the only reasonable choice to do immediately. How's that for a definitive answer? Absolutely. It's okay. If your job is so destructive to you physically, emotionally, that it's causing health issues, by all means, get out. But now be realistic about that. Is it really the job or is it just your personal style? To be anxious and to take things on, to worry about things that you can't control. I mean, don't try to lump everything in just one, one source here, one cause, if it's not realistic. So take a fresh look at that. Get some other people to give you feedback about that. Now, what you're posing, though, is this classic A or B choice, I either stay in this job that's causing me anxiety and stress and destroying me physically, or I leave and then we don't have health insurance and I don't have the discount for my son to go to college. Well, be convinced there are more possibilities. Look for possibilities C through Z. That's where you'll find the best solutions. Could you move to another position within the university? Well, sure. I don't care how big a university it is. They probably have thousands of other jobs available. Is there another position that would be a better fit for you? You know, explore that. Are there modifications that could be done in your current position? Is your current position requiring skills of you that you really don't have or personality traits that you really don't have? Is it just a poor match? So look at all those possibilities and look at the things where you could come, come out with and solutions rather than either or well let me go on well podcast craig says podcasts have come and gone over the years but yours remains the constant i look forward to it every week and i usually listen to each one more than once my wife and i have started a business selling products on amazon i'm a jeep lover and got a wholesale account with one of the bigger jeeps Jeep parts companies. After reviewing their wholesale price list, we've determined the margins just aren't there for us to sell their products and be profitable. I did notice that most of their products are coming from overseas and got the idea that we could source the same types of products from overseas and potentially have our own brand. Please talk through the pros and cons of this if you don't mind. I've thought of it, I thought it over myself, but would like to hear what your opinion is and the list of pros and cons that you have. Thanks again, Craig. Well, Craig, again, I, I like the kind of idea that you're talking about being a, a specialty parts supplier for Jeep parts. I think you're gonna have a hard time competing with the brand names that are out there in terms of new parts and components. For you to source those and to go overseas and to have buying power and the leverage to get those, that that's a pretty monumental task. I mean, you really have to gear up. It may require an investment of a hundred or $200,000 to have the inventory on hand so you really can do that. I mean, you can't take orders from somebody and then have a six-week delivery because you now have to go to your overseas supplier and coordinate the shipment of that one part with a larger shipment so you get some kind of reasonable cost on shipping cost. I mean, those things just add up. I worked with a, a guy one time, who was selling wicker furniture and he had probably a hundred different pieces and was doing pretty well. But here was his struggle. He'd have three chairs and somebody would say, I love those chairs. I want six of those. And they'll say, well, I've got three, I can get three more, but it's going to be three months before I get those in. Well, people don't want to hear that. They just go somewhere else and buy something. Even if it's not as, as much exactly what they want, they just do that because they want it now. I told him, I said, rather than continuing to deal with this, because he would have to buy a container of furniture. Now, if you you see the containers, if you've ever been at a port, you see them coming in on the big ships. They're essentially a tractor trailer trailer. So they, those, that's a container. So he has to get one of those full to get reasonable shipping cost. Well, that's a pretty big thing. And to get one of those over here takes a couple months. I said, why don't you reduce the number of choices that you have so that you have rather than a hundred things, you may only have 30 items that you stock at all, but you become known. So you have chairs, tables, lounges, cabinets, whatever. So you have like 30 items and you have deeper quantities of inventory for just those well that's exactly what he did and he went on to be very successful with that but that's the kind of thing you run into when you're dealing with overseas suppliers it's not just a walk in the park to negotiate an agreement with an overseas supplier and then have it be manageable in a small business i would tend to encourage you to have things jeep components that are not readily available other places so that you buy hard to find things, things that are no longer being manufactured as an example. So you can scour junkyards, salvage yards and online and have things that are hard to find. I mean, it's like having a hood ornament for a 1965 Mustang. Might not be readily available, but if you scour around, you can probably find half a dozen of them that you have in your inventory. So I'd look for that rather than just trying to compete with the big suppliers on common parts. I'd go for a limited number of things that are just hard to find, where you do the research to find those hard to find things. I mean, I've seen people to have great success with old Camaros, old Mustangs, and I think you can do the same thing with Jeeps, but I'd go with that direction rather than just competing with the common kind of components. Well, Paul says, well, hey, let me, let me just insert this here as I glance over the next come, upcoming questions here. Just a reminder, this is Dan Miller. This is the 48 Days Online Radio Show, where each week we take your questions, unpack those, keep those questions coming, and I love looking through the questions, the real-life situations you all pose. If you got a question or a situation you'd like to have discussed here, go to the 48days.com site, click on the podcast link. You'll see there an opportunity to submit that question. I'd be happy to overview that or review that for consideration in an upcoming podcast paul from new york dan listening to your podcast reading your materials or listening and reading the materials of michael hyatt dave ramsey the concept of intention and the power of intentional is referenced many times you better believe it i talk about that a lot and just thinking about it i know i use that term a lot that you know yeah somebody's out here kind of doing what they want to do but they have to be more strategic and intentional. I use those terms a lot, be more strategic and intentional. If you're going to really have extraordinary success. So Paul says, please elaborate on your views concerning intention from its definition to its power and importance. It seems that being intentional is fundamental to success. My goal is to step up markedly the extent to which I am intentional. Same old type of results are just not going to cut it anymore. Well, I I think one of the things that it's perhaps helpful is to distinguish between goals, which I also love and talk about a lot, and intention. So let me just give a couple examples. I mean, a goal would be to leave your office every day by six o'clock. An intention would be to spend quality time with your family every single day. Now, think about that a minute. A goal typically involves the left side of your brain. It's quantifiable, analytical, detailed. You can measure it and know exactly when it happens. That's a goal. And intention also engages the right side of your brain. The right side is where we get, you know, relationships and storytelling and feelings and emotions, creativity, artistic skills and all that. So an intention is going to engage both of those. Now, this is not something that is real quantifiable. It may sound a little, um, elusive to try to describe it, but let me just try to explain this a little more. Goals normally are focused on the future while intention is focused on the present. When you set your intentions based on understanding what matters most to you and make a commitment to align your daily actions with your in values. Now here's another example. My I have as a goal to have a date night with Joanne every Friday night. At 545, my iPhone sends me an alert. It beeps and I look down and it says date night in 15 minutes. So 6 o'clock Friday night is date night with my wife. That's a goal. My intention is is to show joanne how important she is to me in every moment of every day see an intention kind of broadens out but now the reason i still like goals is because they are modif uh, they are so quantifiable and a lot of times people have well we know you know what we hear about good intentions the road to hell is paved with good intentions intentions can be a little too elusive and i like the fact that goals are quantifiable so if my intention is to show joanne how important she is to me then a reasonable question would be to ask me dan what specifically are you doing to show that intention well one of the things that i have as goals is to have date night every friday night so i may have as a goal which i do well here's another one i have as a goal to complete a revised manuscript for 48 days to the work you love by december 15th that's a goal My intention is just to continue to provide content that inspires people to tap into their very best talents and skills. That's an ongoing umbrella as an intention. But yes, underneath that, I have specific goals. These projects need to be completed by these particular dates. I think we need to have both. I mean, intentions are not external rules like the Ten Commandments. They're more like an internal guide goals, again, are more measurable. You can have somebody who completes a lot of goals. The intentions of their life are seen in their daily living. So we can observe their intentions. You can observe somebody's intentions in hearing the tone of voice they use when speaking to a child or their spouse. That really shows their intention. Even if they have as a goal to make enough money to send the child to college. So I think we need both And great question. I appreciate your question, Paul, but uh, we need to have both. I certainly hope that I, but your question will help me be more intentional, but be more specific about noting what I'm doing that displays just goals that I have and what really shows the intentionality of my life. Well, Mark from Middletown, Connecticut says, I recently started a blog. I eventually want to offer coaching and my own products of some kind, although I'm not sure what that would be. My question is, how do I set myself apart and be different offering something unique that hasn't already been done, like Dave Ramsey does in personal finance or focus on the family, does in faith and family area? I'm an active duty U.S. Coast Guard member and I want to use my time left in the service to build my platform and do even more great things through this newfound passion. How can I contribute and offer value to others without ripping off the giants already out there? My website is standingformore.com. It's about upholding our beliefs and faith, family, and finances while offering hope. Your counsel would be greatly appreciated. Mark. Well, Mark, remember a couple questions back, I said that I had a whole lot of mentors in my life. People like Dennis Wheatley and Napoleon Hill and Earl Nightingale, Norman Vincent Peale. Golly, I've had so many mentors over the years, you know, current ones like Brendan Bouchard and Tony Robbins and Darren Hardy and Dave Ramsey and Michael Hyatt. I mean, I could make a lot list of current people who are mentors for me. Now here's the deal. If they're mentors of me, do I learn from them? Do I hear them say things that I think are important? Do I hear them reference other mentors of theirs? Do I hear them use quotations? All of those things, yes, yes, yes. You think those things creep into the principles that I use in my personal coaching or writing? Absolutely. You really don't have to be very original and there's nothing wrong with that. And that's not plagiarizing or just ripping off other people. We all learn from others. We all learn from the wisdom of the past. Mark Twain has a quotation. I don't have it right in front of me, but it essentially says there's nothing new in the universe. It's like a kaleidoscope. We all just take what's already in existence in terms of ideas, principles, thoughts, values, and we just mix them up a little bit, make them our own and spew them back out there again to our audiences. I mean, we all do that. There's nobody who I've mentioned by name here who would say that what they did was original. When you talk to Mike Hyatt or Dave Ramsey or John Maxwell on leadership, where does he get his messages on Maxwell? The 15 immutable laws of leadership and the 21 uh, unchangeable laws that when he goes through his list, he gets those because he is a voracious reader and student. John keeps note cards with him hundreds of note cards and he just jots things down. Every time he hears something about you, he jots it down. So his books are, in essence, a compilation of all the great things he's heard and learned from those leaders who are already out there. We all do that. You don't need to apologize for that. Now, that's different from plagiarism. If if you take material from Dave Ramsey out of his book, Entree Leadership, or out of his book, Financial Peace, let's take that one if you're going to be doing things in the financial area. So if you take things out of there and you take two paragraphs from page 78 and put it in a workbook that you've created to now sell on your own, that's plagiarism. That's copyright infringement. You get in trouble for that. But if you take the ideas that he talked about there, you reword it and make it your own. See, we can't copyright or patent or trademark words. We don't own words. We don't own thoughts or ideas. You can take it, reshape them, make them your own and do it with your head held high. That's what we all do. Well, here's another question. This comes from, an, um, from another Paul. Paul says, uh, this is from Michigan. I'm ready to make a career change. I like this question. Th- this made me think a little bit as I read through the question. And I, I think it's a legitimate question and one that probably is running through the minds of a whole lot of people out there. He says, I'm ready to make a career change and have a question about job search ethics. I'm in sales and I'm a supplier for several customers that I would love to work for and with. But I struggle with the idea of asking them about employment opportunities within their company while still being their supplier. It seems to me be unethical risky and taboo but on the other hand it's so tempting these companies are the exact companies that I've been targeting with my job search but have not yet been successful in landing a position when a position is available with a company it's always helpful knowing someone who works there but still there are no guarantees is there a tactful approach to inquiring about positions within their company or should it not even be a consideration thanks Dan for all your wisdom and passion well Paul that's a great question It needs to be handled ethically and with your eyes wide open, but it's not as black and white as I think you are perceiving it. Now, just yesterday, our mailman had to come in here to deliver a package, which is not uncommon actually delivered a ball from somebody, a literal ball. I mean, it's about 24 inches across and the ball is a letter where it's a thank you note from somebody that I did a podcast with. I think it was Jared Easley that I did a podcast with and he wrote his thank you note on the ball. Well, the mailman thought it was funny. He had to come in here because it didn't fit in our mailbox. Well, in our brief conversation, he let me know that he's looking for other jobs And wanted to know what i would do well and he did he wondered if there were any jobs working for me now that's the mailman i mean i get the same thing from ups drivers and fedex drivers do i think that it is unethical because they're delivering products back here to us that they're now asking me about work opportunities no i mean we know that that's part of somebody who's an up-and-comer somebody who's looking for more something but he's looking to make a bigger contribution I mean, we have all kinds of people that are uh, supplying us where they're constantly asking us, hey, do you know, especially with the line of work that I do, where they know I may know of somebody or a company that's hiring, even if it's not us, but they're always asking. I don't consider that unprofessional. And if somebody comes and makes a sales presentation here, uh, we're just in the process of getting new windows and siding on the two-story portion of our home. I've had countless people out here because i always want to get four or five estimates which i have done here but when people come out and they're given an estimate and they say oh my gosh you know you have such a beautiful setting for your home here and we get into conversation and they say and they you know realize oh you're the dan miller that wrote 48 days to the work you love wow you know i love what i'm doing here but i'm really hoping to do something bigger and better than this what ideas would you give me i don't run back to their employer and say oh you better watch out for you know paul he's out there You know using company time to look for better opportunities i mean i've had people working for me that i know are looking for other opportunities and i'm their biggest fan in having them do so i mean dave ramsey again we mentioned him i mean dave has people come to him i mean a lot of times working at dave's is a stepping stone people come there they have made great connections because of being there the people dave has come in to do their weekly devo on wednesday morning alone give them connections to amazing new opportunities but just the, the the way that everybody's connected and talking to lots of people around the country and around the world there are new opportunities being dropped in the lap of people there every single day and people ultimately say you know what i do want a new opportunity and a lot of them decide this is what i want to move into dave doesn't go back and slap the hand of the persons that that was, uh, you know, the company that they're now going to thinking, Hey, you're recruiting inside my company. Now we realize people are changing, they're developing, they're growing. And in doing so, a lot of times people are looking for new opportunities. I think you can hold your head high and talk to those companies that you are calling on them. Just let them know you're and uh, you've been at this position for quite some time. You've enjoyed it, but you're exploring new opportunities. What would they suggest? Just get their advice and opinion. It doesn't mean that you're secretly knocking on their door saying, will you get me a job so I can get out of the one I'm in? No, just say, you know, I'm at a season in my life where I'm looking at new opportunities. What kind of things would you suggest for me? And if they say, wow, knowing you as I do, you'd be a great fit in our company. Boom, right here. Now that may precipitate a conversation between them and the owner of your company before it goes any further. That's okay. Be open about that. These things don't need to be done behind the scenes, under the radar and secret. It's a legitimate part of all, of the lives that we are all living in the companies we are all running. Andrew from Pennsylvania, in one of your recent podcasts, you responded to a question about somebody looking for millionaires to talk with. Now this is the other side of an earlier question where a guy said nobody would agree to talk to him or mentor him at all. Andrew says, gee, you talked about somebody looking for millionaires to talk with. I have a follow-up to that because due to a recent job change, I now have the opportunity to have a casual one-on-one meeting with a millionaire every week. He's a man who built a small company and a multimillion dollar operation. And I have great respect for him both as a businessman and, and as a personal friend, I've aspirations of starting my own business and want to take advantage of this opportunity. Trouble is I'm not entirely sure what to ask. I'm wondering if you could make any suggestion of what kinds of things one should ask when they have an opportunity like this. I have some ideas, but thought it would be great to ask your ideas. Many thanks. Why, Andrew, what a super opportunity. And I commend you on making the connection, however that was made, where you can pick the brain of somebody who's been extremely successful. But ask him things like, how did he build his success in business? What are his strongest areas of competence? How did he find people whose skills complemented his own? How does he balance work and play? Uh, What are the three most important personal characteristics for success? What advice would he have if he were talking to himself 20 years ago? What does he wish he would have known back then? Yeah, I mean, just enjoy the process of having a casual conversation. See the things that he's done well. Ask him about those things. Compliment him on those things and tell him that you admire, you know, what he's doing both personally and professionally. And just continue to use him as a wellspring of information to stimulate your own success congratulations on doing that candace from atlanta my husband is an incredibly gifted screenwriter he's sold several solid scripts he's been able to get pilots and short films produced he's even won awards for his work unfortunately that's as far as anything goes I firmly believe the best way to get his work into the world will be to own the process from writing to distribution. Of course, we have to eat too. Where can we find ways to monetize web episodes, distribute feature length films, or sell TV series through unconventional avenues? He has the passion and the talent to perform with excellence. I'm committed to helping him find the, the right business model. Thanks for all you do to inspire and educate listeners and readers like me. Well, Candace. You know, media like that is a very large animal. Now, with YouTube and the things that people are doing online, just like this. I mean, I have a podcast with more listeners than what most radio stations will ever dream about. Terrestrial, solid, bricks and mortar radio stations. I love the fact that we have those opportunities available to us. But I don't don't disregard the value of traditional radio and what it's still doing. And certainly when it comes to movies, it's pretty tough to compete with the big boys. It's pretty tough to have a budget of $50,000 to get something done. When we have movies being put out where they had a $500 million budget to produce the movie in the first place. I mean, it's hard to play with the big boys when we don't have access to the same connections and same resources that they do. I think this is one of those where you ought to do both. I don't think this is an either or. If you've been able to get some of his short films out there produced, as you won awards. I mean, that's building the ladder of success for him. Those are not things to be taken lightly. Those are things that will help open new doors for him all along the way. I would continue doing that, but don't make it just that. Go ahead and say that you're going to produce a 15-minute documentary. Documentary, and you're going to do it on your own. You're going to get it out there. You're going to spread it virally because it's a really hot topic that you know people will talk about. I mean, do that as well, but I think it's short sighted. It's just like in the publishing arena. Maybe I ought to just talk about that since I'm more familiar with that. I have a lot of authors who say, well, they're totally just turned off. They're frustrated. They're angry with traditional publishing, you know, screw them. I'm just going to do it myself. So they totally balk off any opportunity of any work, any time working with a publisher. I had a, a young friend not too long ago who was well on his way to self-publishing his own book. And then in a discussion with a small publisher, they said, well, they would like to publish his book. And he came back to me and says, well, you know, obviously I'm not going to do that. You know, heck with them. I'm just going to do this myself. And I said, why would you do that? If you have somebody willing to publish your book, why wouldn't you go ahead and work with them? I mean, look at the advantages. I look at things both ways. So yes, I've done a lot of things on my own. I love the thing, the fact that we can do something and get it out there in three days' time, or you don't do that with a publisher. But I've also had major works done with publishers where we've had those major pur- purchases, you know, a quarter of a million go through Costco or Sam's. I'd have a pretty hard time doing that on my own. i pull out books when we have events here. i pull out books, my books, No More Mondays, Wisdom Meets Passion, 48 Days to the Work You Love, that have been translated into obscure languages like complex Chinese and Romanian and Portuguese. Now, those aren't obscure languages, but languages, I mean, how could I ever do that on my own? I mean, I love working with publishers. Now, in later years here, I have worked out agreements with publishers where I have the best of both, where they do the distribution that they do. They get it into Barnes & Noble and Books A Million and international rights and foreign languages and all those kind of things that I am never going to invest the time and energy to do as an individual. But I also use them as my printer where I have amazingly advantageous agreements with them where I purchase my books through them and then sell them on my own and make a whole lot of money selling books on my own. So I look for solutions where we can do both. And I think you can do the same in what you're describing here. Well, let me grab just one more here. Um let's see. Let me do this one. Lisa from Virginia. I'm interested in starting a business as a solo entrepreneur. I would like to have a website with business conferences, dates, places, and prices and other information so that someone interested could look at many choices and see the pros and cons of each. So having a listing of seminars and conferences coming up, maybe offer a discount if they sign up with a promo code or through my website. Do you think that the business could be viable? I just love conferences. Although I've never been to a business conference. I listen to many podcasts like yours about business, marketing, et cetera, and have looked for a website that has information about conferences. Thanks for your helpful opinion. I love your idea, Lisa. I I get asked about that a lot. I had somebody recently ask about that again. Is there kind of a clearinghouse for conferences that are coming up? I don't know of any. I think it's a great idea to do that. You know what I think you ought to do to get yourself positioned to do that? I think you ought to select three conferences yet this year that you're gonna go to. I mean, you need to be more immersed in the whole process. So go to conferences yourself, and then look at you know what would it take to put those all together. We offer conferences here. Now we're a small player, so we offer six conferences a year here. I've never had anybody approach me and say, "Would you like for us to list those conferences for you on a you know bigger market that we're going to put together?" Now this has been done in all kinds of things. I mean, if you look at if I'm going to look for a, a car rental. In Denver, Colorado, I go to Hotwire because they're going to have 30 different companies that they're going to show exactly what they're offering today in Denver, Colorado. So I go to compilation sites like that all the time. I don't get Groupon and all those different kind of discount coupon codes, but I get Yipit. They scan over 400 coupon companies and they pull only the kind that I'm interested in in Nashville, Tennessee area. So they do that. I use a compilation site. I think it's a great idea. You be the one. You be the one to get out there, do the research, make it happen. I think you're onto something that could be really great. I'd love to have you list our conferences there. I mean, yeah, we could work something out where you get an affiliate fee. My goodness, that alone could be really profitable to put together all the conferences that are out there and... Um, list those and just get affiliate fees by recommending people. Maybe I ought to do it. (laughs) I I recommend a whole lot of conferences that people ought to go to. Um, That's probably something we ought to have available to show other people conferences that I would recommend on some kind of a a list rather than just a random mention here and there. Well, we're out of time. Here's just a recap. (laughs) Remember we had people, Somebody in Atlanta, Georgia, that knows the principles I talk about don't work there. And of course, we heard from other people in Atlanta, Georgia that are doing quite well. Is it okay to quit a job if it's causing health issues? Absolutely. Not only okay, you need to be out of there in 30 days. Uh, Know the difference between goals and intentions. Make sure that you are being intentional about what you're doing as well as just being quantifiable about goals that you've got. Let it be known what your intentions are, intentions that involve the right side of your brain as well as the left. You don't need to rip off the giants out there to do something on your own. You can borrow their ideas, concepts, learn from them like we all do, nothing wrong with that at all. And is it tacky to ask customers about job opportunities with them? No, not at all. You can do that. I think it's a great idea to let people know that you are looking for new opportunities. What advice do they have? Hey, our quotation for the day came from Henry David Thoreau, who said, what you get by achieving your goals is not as important as what you become by achieving your goals. Thanks for your participation in the 48 Days community, whether that's just the resources we're offering or in the .NET community that's growing dramatically every single day. We appreciate you being part of this amazing group that is finding or creating work that is purposeful, profitable, meaningful, all those wonderful qualities. We will not settle for less.